Uh, good morning. Today's reading is uh, from Ezra, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Rebuilding the altar. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Rebuilding the temple. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites, from twenty years old and upward, to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Ashab, with cymbals, to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy." so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Is that okay with everyone? Yeah. Well, good morning. And what a mouthful I gave Jill to read. <laughs> Thank you, Jill. So when Todd asked me whether I would speak today, I said yes, and I had something on my mind. 
and that's what I'm going to do. And what I had on my mind is really a little bit of my, uh, of my experience, a bit of my story of the, of the maybe last few months or, or even years. And, and as you're used to it, I guess, when I speak, there's always going to be a few stories about Nepal and about my work in the Himalayas. And I'm a little bit sorry about that, right? I, I want to say that. These are stories from a faraway land. And sometimes they can be outlandish because, well, because they are. But the point is not to feed you outlandish stories. They're just the stories of my life. These are my stories. And it is your job to make it applicable to your life. And I hope that will work out. So um, the reading this morning, that was really, that was a mouthful. Thank you, Jill. And, and what's the significance? And, and what is this all about? And then the title today's today's sermon, uh, Not by Power, Nor by Might, But by My Spirit, Says the Lord. It's really something that's been on my heart a lot recently. Actually, it's almost been annoying, quite honestly. So, and in all these situations, um, three weeks ago, uh, I was on uh, in the airport in Pokhrad, a little uh, town where we work, and where much, oh, some of you have visited, of course, Pokhara. Uh, it's more than a town. It's a city of 500,000, actually, but it has a town-like feel to it. I needed to get to Kathmandu. With me was one of my Nepali staff and our new staff from, from Vancouver, Nicole Stevens. Uh, we needed to get to Kathmandu that day. We had people come in on a late-night flight, and so we decided actually to take the plane from to Kathmandu. It's a 25-minute flight over against an eight-hour bus ride. So we chose to fly rather than to take the bus. And we had a noon flight. Every, there's a flight every hour. First flight goes at 9 o'clock, second at 10, third at 11, fourth at 12. So you, you're supposed to show up at the airport about an hour before flight time. Uh, well, I know that the flights are always late, so I show up 15 minutes early, and that's usually plenty early. We show up at 11.45, and oh, I see right away, there's a lot of people milling around in this airport. And, and so we go up to the check-in counter, and I ask, and I am. Uh, not even the 9 o'clock flight has arrived yet. That's not good. That's not good, because we, we really needed to get to Kathmandu that day. And... And it's the same plane going back and forth, right? So, so do the math. 25 minutes, 5 minutes, stopping. Don't, don't think about the maintenance of the planes, by the way. Um, I, I'm an engineer by background, so I can't fully get that out of my mind. But when I sit in these planes, in these planes and, and, oh, well, yes, the windows are kind of cocked in roughly, and, and not with a neat feed of of um, silicone, but like really, really roughly, like a plumber who doesn't know what he's doing trying to fix a leak with just a whole can of, of putty. And, and, and you see the rivets on the wings outside. You see them vibrate as the engine revs up. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and oh, and, and here is something I discovered recently. I have to share that with you. I didn't plan on that, but here it is. Um, my own language, German, is, is a language that's poor on words. Uh, like, English has so many more words than German does. For instance, English has a word for sky 
and the word for heaven. That's only one word in German. It's Himmel. Um, and it, it, there's many such, such things. And so I was just reading the day, actually, when I traveled, the, the story I'm telling you, the day uh, we were traveling, I was reading in the morning about the Lord of heaven and earth. But in German, it reads the Lord of sky and earth, right? Because it's the same word, sky and heaven. And they go, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Because yes, the rivets are loose. And yes, the windows do look like they're popping out any minute. But, but it's the Lord of the sky that I believe in. Not just heaven, also the sky. And so this plane is not going to fall out of the sky. That's that kind of beautiful. Anyways, so back to the story. We're late. We need to get to Kathmandu. And, well, I happen to have a connection to the owner of the airline. Um, and connections are helpful. They're, they're helpful in Canada. They're even more helpful in, in Nepal, where oftentimes nothing happens without connections. We needed to get to Kathmandu. And um, I guess Nicole was praying in her heart, and Suresh was praying in his heart. We didn't bow our heads together. We didn't pray together there in the airport. But I prayed to in my heart, Lord, what, what am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to call, um, to call the owner and make him uh, shift us to the first flight and see that we can, we can turn around things a little bit? And I was still, still thinking when I saw something on, on the screen go up and it was about our flight and I didn't quite get it. So I went up to the counter again and I asked, said, oh, what, what's going on? And he said, well, you are supposed to be on that flight, which, which is actually a larger plane. The planes uh, hold 22 people, but your plane is the 70-seater. That's the new plane we have, but it is, it is down with technical issues. So we are sending two planes instead. And they go, oh, 70 would have been our planes, our plane, and they're sending two planes, 22 people each. That's, that's not going to go too well. And the temptation to call the owner gets bigger. But you know what? As I'm praying, and, and I'm, I'm getting to this not by power nor by my business, right? It's just, just to the umpteenth time um, as I'm praying, I hear that verse go through my mind. Not by power nor by might. So what does that mean? Um, cutting the long story short, it's actually kind of funny. Um, I did talk to the guy at the counter. said, look, we, we really need to get to Kathmandu. Can you help us? And so he put us on the first of the two relief flights that came instead of our flight. So it had a different flight number. And I just, ex- it just, just put that into my expense sheet that I submitted to Heather this week. My flight number pops up. Would you, would you guess as what? 666. <laughs> Not by power, nor by might. And I'm on flight 666 to Kathmandu. Didn't like it, but it's all good. Because he's not just the Lord of heaven and earth, but also the Lord of sky and earth. So it was all good. Not by power, nor by might. Over the last few years, I've been in so many situations where I didn't quite know what to do. Uh, Where I had to deal with, with government offices and with the tax office in Nepal and the corruption and, or, or going to, to a church that I didn't quite know where they are and, and I didn't know what to say to them and, and praying, God, God, what do you have for me? Going to my staff and 
They're all working so hard um, to, to make that transformation happen in the lives of street children and, and the school children in Yangri. And you know about these projects, right? They're all working so hard. And I pray, God, what do you have for them? And every time I'm praying, I hear the same thing. Not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And sometimes I go, God, are you kidding me? There's a whole book full of stuff that you give me that time and again. <laughs> so when Todd asked me to speak this morning, I thought, hmm, this is a good opportunity to, rep, to reflect a little bit. And you, of course, know where that verse is coming from. The verse uh, is a prophecy that is given to Zerubbabel about whom we've been uh, um, hearing from Jill in the reading as he was rebuilding the temple. Uh, Zerubbabel. So I thought this morning when I talked to Todd, I'm going to speak about not by power nor by, nor by map, by the Spirit, says the Lord. I'm talking about Zerubbabel and unwrapping that story. Well, the truth is, if you go and, and piece together the story, you have to piece it together, really, from the book of Ezra, Nehemiah. These are the two history books that talk about Zerubbabel and, and that period in, in, in Old Testament history. And then you go to Haggai and to Zechariah, the two prophets. That's where you find all the pieces. And then you find him in, in the New Testament in the very, very exciting way the New Testament begins with the genealogy in Matthew. You find him as the great, 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 great dad of Jesus. Um, so Zerubbabel, who is the guy? Apart from a great name, hey? Doesn't that sound great, Zerubbabel? Um, honestly, these names make me jealous. Zerubbabel. Now think about it. Think about it. It's such a fun name. Like my Nepali staff and, and the kids that we serve, they have such great names in terms of meaning too. Santos. Hey, we talk about Santos all the time. You know what it means? It, Santos means uh, uh, the happy one. The happy one. Uh, or, or one of my staff is called Shristi, creation. I have a boy in my program. His name is Akash, sky. Um, or, or Prabhat, the anointed one. Such great names. Zerubbabel, it means the, ze- the seed of, of Babylon. The seed of Babylon. Why? Zerubbabel is the grandson of the last king of Judah, Jehoiakim who wasn't a great king, by the way. Um, actually, he will go down in biblical history probably under the category of scumbag. Um, um, he was 18 years old when he, when he got on the throne. He reigned for three months. Um, and he did evil in the, in the Lord's eye, and that's the extent of his history that we have. Um, it's, it's an important junction, though, in history, and I think, I think we need to look a little bit at that at that history to understand the significance of this, not by power nor by might. I think that's important here. Um, Old Testament history in a nutshell. Here you go. Uh, you, you do know. You do know your Old Testament history, right? Don't you? But, but So you have this the period of exile. You have this period when everything comes crashing down after after you, you, you see the buildup in the Old Testament, I mean, God calling 
Abraham to this new land and Abraham starting this new life and out of this family grows a nation and then they get they get uh, to Egypt because of the famine and in Egypt they continue to grow and out of this this big clan now is is a 2 million uh, people uh, nation when they leave Egypt under Moses that that's about 1500 before Christ right when they leave Egypt exodus they go into the desert and the desert is the place where they where they really learn what it means to follow God exodus is this great book about the people of Israel leaving Egypt and then the people of Israel learning to get Egypt out of their system. And then we get to the period of, of the, uh, the prophets and, and the judges and there's this vision about a nation, Israel, that is a kingdom, but not a kingdom with a king, but a kingdom directly under the king. And, and there's supposed to be a holy nation and it doesn't go all that well and you know, that they want the king, so they become a real kingdom. And then they have the first king, doesn't go too well with Saul. And then we have a second king, David, and now things are going really well. Now the kingdom grows, and, and it's a king after God's heart. And then comes David's uh, son, Solomon. And, and if you fully understand the story about Solomon, please explain it to me, because I don't. Um, he's supposed to be this wise, wise king. Uh, a thousand wives doesn't sound all that wise to me. It actually sounds exceedingly dumb to me. Um, a thousand wives? Man. I, I, St. Paul will say, don't, don't get married at all. <laughs> that would be wisdom. Um, a thousand wives. And a thousand wives produce quite a lot of kids. So, ooh, there's a lot of princes and princesses in Israel. And so what happens once, once Solomon dies, there's this civil war, of course. And the kingdom gets divided. And it's downhill from there, quite honestly. So the Old Testament is weird. It, as, a, as a story, good stories, they build up to a climax. The Old Testament goes, yeah, a little bit up and down, a little bit up and down. Then we come to David up, and then it's essentially downhill. And downhill, and further downhill. Then you have the divided kingdom. You've got the ten tribes and the two tribes. And the two tribes are kind of, they're kind of holding on to the Lord, kind of. Not, not really, but kind of. Um, the ten tribes, not at all. Things are not good there. And, and eventually, it all, it all comes crashing down, as I said before, uh, with the exile. First, the ten tribes get carried off. I mean, it's, it's politically quite interesting to read how, how this works out as the kings both of Israel, the ten tribes, and Judah, the two tribes, they try to read um, the signs of their time with three empires um, emerging, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. And they're trying to make the allegiance so that they as a smaller kingdom won't get crushed. And they get it wrong. Time after time, they get it wrong. And first they get aligned with Egypt, even though the prophets come and say, don't trust into Egypt's chariots. There will be no salvation for you coming out of Egypt. They do it. Boom. They get crushed by the Assyrians. They think, okay, now we've learned our peace. Let's get aligned with Assyria. Boom. Comes, come the, the Babylonians. They get crushed again. And eventually, both the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom get carried off into exile. And as they do get carried off into exile, they still have their faith. They have, because 
They got the promises. They got all, they got their history. They got the exodus where God has brought them out of Egypt. And can't he do it again? Of course he can. So they hold on to these promises. And, and all kinds of prophets start springing up in the exile. They say, this is very temporary. Guys, don't even take off your shoes as you go to sleep. Maybe tonight the Lord is coming and taking us back to the Holy Land. And then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. And you can read about that in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah writes a letter to the exile, and he goes, guys, build houses, plant gardens, have kids. Have your kids get married, have them have kids, because you're going to stay and work and pray for the prosperity of the city where God has carried you, because that's going to make the difference for your lives and for their lives. That's where you are. You're not coming back soon. And then the prophecy goes on, but after 70 years, God will once again bring back the remnant uh, to the Holy Land. And now we're getting to, slowly we're getting to this, this important junction in, in the history of the Old Testament uh, where that word of the Lord comes to Zerubbabel, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So after not quite 70 years, after 50 years, there's again a shift uh, in those political, uh, in the political machinery of the empire. And, and a, new, a new emperor comes into power and he has a new philosophy how to run that empire. No longer does he want to uh, move all the, 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 the people uh, from his from his provinces uh, to the capital city as servants and slaves, but he wants them to go back. He wants them to rebuild their places because he comes to the realization that it is great to have all these lands, but they're not creating any revenue because we've emptied them of the people. And without the people who actually live in their cultures, there's going to be no wealth. So he starts sending back the people, including um, the Israelites, to their homeland. And so um, there's that first, there's going to be three waves of returnees. Is that a word? Returnees to the Holy Land. The first wave goes with Zerubbabel. That's such a great name, Zerubbabel. I don't know what my parents were thinking when they called me Daniel. Zerubbabel. So great. Or Todd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it, it, it means God is my judge. Oh, help me. <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> Anyways, Zerubbabel is the one who takes the first wave of returnees back. Um, according to, to um, the book of Ezra, which has lists about that, it's 42,000 and something people who go back with Zerubbabel, the seed of Babylon. That's his name, the meaning of his name. What does that mean? It means he is... He is, well, he is the one who embodies the hope, the seed in Babylon, the seed for uh, a renewed uh, Israel, for a renewed people of God. And so he's taken up that responsibility. The, the grandson of the late king, Jehoiakim, takes those 42,000 pe- 42, people back. They start rebuilding houses, and they, they uh, rebuild the altar, as we have heard in the reading, and then they start rebuilding the temple because that's what they very clearly feel called to. 
And then they lay the foundation to the temple. Oh, I, I know a few things about laying foundations to houses and building and rebuilding after earthquakes. And I'm not an expert in that field whatsoever. Um, and I don't think he was either. And if you read through the list of his builders, it was mostly priests. Priests, building, shuffles, pickaxe. Priests, really? Ah, that, that doesn't sound too good. You don't see too many priests doing construction work. But then, uh, priests can do amazing stuff. We had a fundraiser for Himalayan Life this week, and some of you actually were there. And Ken Bell, who's a priest, um, in his color, which actually identified him as a priest, he ran the life auction. He did a fantastic job. When, when we organized this event, and, and um, it was suggested to me that Ken Bell would do that, I go, what? Ken Bell? <laughs> so priests can do amazing stuff. No, 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 so did I. <laughs> so they start rebuilding. They lay that foundation. And then embedded in that text that Jill read to us, you have that cryptic little sentence, but some wept. But some wept. And then if you go to Haggai, the prophet, you'll find the explanation why. Um, I think I have that here. Yeah, I do. So, so here's why. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, um, blah, blah, blah. Ask him, who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory, the temple, the house of the Lord, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? Wow, that's frustrating. That's really frustrating. It seems like nothing. They're just giving their lives for this purpose. They have migrated back. Remember, they had built houses. They had planted gardens. And when the opportunity came to go back, they left it all behind. And by the way, not everyone, everyone went back. There was hundreds of thousands. You know the story, by the way, as it continues in Babylon. Um, Queen Esther is the continuation of, of the story in Babylon uh, a generation later. That's the, one, the Jews who stayed in Babylon. So only some went back with Zerubbabel because there was a cost to be counted. They went back. They, they started in the ashes of a destroyed city with building houses again. Maybe they built, sh they, they built shelters, really, just like us in Nepal after the earthquake. They lived in shelters. They lived in shacks. They started laying that foundation. It took them 10 years uh, after moving back until this moment that we read about when the foundation was laid. And the old guys who had seen the old temple, they weep. They weep because it seems like nothing. And precisely into this situation comes the word of the Lord. Not by power, nor by might but by my spirit, says the Lord. I, I can so much sympathize with Zerubbabel, not with his great name, but with the situation. So often as we, as we work uh, in, in my line of work, helping street children to come from this place of not life to a place of life, it seems like nothing. 
invest so much years, detox, helping them to understand uh, their value as human beings. And then the slightest thing can throw them back into a spiral, back onto the streets, back into the drugs, back into the gang. And it seems like nothing. Even one of our own staff recently said to me, and, and by the way, he was wrong. Um, he said to me, Daniel, don't you think that we almost encourage the kids to lead a double life as they come to the shelter, as they come and, and start living with us, and as we teach them a new life, and even as they start embracing the faith, and they pray and they sing, that's only what happens at the shelter. But then they're back on the street, and, and it's, just, it's just as it was before. Isn't, isn't this even a double life? And does this even count for anything? It seems like nothing. It seems puny. It seems almost like the efforts were lost. And, and I think that's exactly when I need to hear the, the Lord's word, not by power, nor by might, not by all these fantastic results or by our smartness and our fantastic programs and all the psychology and the detox programs, but by my spirit. I was um, recently invited to go, well, recently, a couple of years ago after the earthquake, somebody from, from, from Himalayan Life Switzerland has a connection to World Vision. Well, that's a large, great organization. And he made the connection so that I could go and visit their headquarters in, in Europe, which happens to be in Switzerland, and have a conversation about maybe tapping into their resources. And we were welcomed in this wonderful conference room, great table, I mean, polished mahogany or teak or whatever wood. Um, and, and, and um, oh, this is loud all of a sudden. Um, and, and, and there was brochures and good promo material about their work and, and business cards on the table. I don't even have a business card. And I felt so small and insignificant. And I walked out of there, and guess what I heard in my mind? Not by power, nor by might. And that's just for me. It's, it, that's not to put down world vision or anything. And I guess you can sympathize uh, when you think about that um, with situations in, in your own life. Don't we all wish to really, 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 really deeply um, be salt and light and live up to that Christian life that, that we see uh, emerge in the pages uh, of Scripture and, and be and be these great disciples of Jesus Christ and through our life embody the message and the gospel and, and yes, would our neighbors see how, how we have things, how we got it together and, and how our front yards and backyards and, 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 and vegetable gardens and how, it, how it's just so perfect and, and how this would demonstrate God's love and his character and all of that and the reality so often is that, oh my gosh, <laughs> the reality is so different. And it looks puny. And it looks imperfect. 
and we don't have it together, and it's not all just happiness, and not everything in our families is perfect, and our Christmases are not perfect. And that's when we need to hear the word of the Lord, not by power, nor by might, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And so I thought, wow, this is actually really appropriate for today, this this very simple message. I don't even have three points. I only have one. Every good message has three points and a poem, as Robert pointed out yesterday. I don't have a poem either. It's just one point. Not by power nor by might, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And you will have to work out in your life what that means to you. But isn't it appropriate? Back to the Old Testament, to the history of the Old Testament. Um, so it's not that super story. I mean, there's lots of good stories in the Old Testament. I love it. But it's not that super story that goes up to a climax and it, it, it ends in this big boom and everyone goes, wow, not at all. It ends actually exactly with these words. That's the end of the Old Testament historically. That's it. That's where it stops. With an imperfect temple. Well, then Nehemiah comes and he builds a city that's also very, very imperfect. But that's the end. 400 something before Christ. That's where the history stops. In fact, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. It's just about one of the last prophecies in the Old Testament. And there it stops. And then it's 400 years of silence. And Israel is nothing but a little province in the Babylonian kingdom, which later becomes a province in the Roman Empire. It's nothing. What started with 2 million people um, coming out of Egypt is now just 50,000 people. What was a great kingdom is now just a little province. What was a thriving economy is now just people trying to somehow make a living um, in, in the ruins of what used to be. And what does this all mean? What does it all mean? Yes, it means not by power nor by might, but by, by my spirit, says the Lord. But it means, to me at least, I see one thing emerging here. Oh, we need the Messiah so much. So much. It's just the climax is still to come. It's, it's the coming of the Emmanuel. It's the coming of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. That's what it all works towards. And that's why it's so appropriate that we have this message today. It's the last Sunday before, before well, before Advent. And yes, it has a great name. What was that? Christ of King Sunday. Wow. But really, next week we start with Advent. We start uh, with this journey of renewed expectation and, and joy as we, as we begin the holiday season. It's not the holiday season. It's Christmas, people. It's Christmas. And that would be my prayer for all of us, that this Christmas afresh, we can grasp this reality that it is not by might and not by power and not by anything that we are trying to achieve or, or actually even do achieve. Not by our smarts, not by our getting our, our lives together, not by our nicely painted houses, not by our beautifully decorated church, which is also leaking. Um, it doesn't matter. It, this is all important too. But what matters is that it is by the Spirit of God. And so 
we need to invite him time and again into our, into our lives. Let's pray. So, dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this simple prophecy in your word, not by power, nor by my, but by my spirit. And I pray that we all will uh, learn afresh what this means, even in this coming season. I pray that you teach us that it is indeed not by uh, our experience, not by our education, not by our smarts, not by all the things we do, but by the Spirit that your kingdom is coming. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.